1: World Class Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer, the show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling, from one man who lives it, and another man who loves it.
0: sitting here at midnight do you know what that means you know what that's from um we're hot it's love you know you know what that's from ice cream man with clint howard no 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 one of the characters is an ice cream man
1: oh uh steve martin nope uh god i don't know
0: phantasm
1: Oh, dude, I'm the worst. Reggie Bannister, of course. I
0: know, man. Come on now. <laughs> Do you remember that scene where Reggie walks up on Jody sitting on the porch? He's playing his guitar, and then they start just jamming in the middle of the movie. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? So fantastic. <calculating> like, the red yeah, working on it. Sitting here
1: at midnight <laughs> and I've been sitting here till noon You see my lady left me lonely Yes she did. I was more a fan of of uh, Phantasm Two and three
0: me too phantasm Two, in my opinion is one of the best sequels of all time,
1: yeah, I like James Lagrosse
0: me too, way better than Michael a Michael Baldwin,
1: yeah, who would come back later, wouldn't he?
0: He came back in part three, which was weird because he's wearing the same outfit that James Lagrosse is wearing in two yeah. Like the thermal with the T-shirt over it, but it, he didn't fill it out the way James LeGros did.
1: What an unusual casting replacement, right?
0: To go back to a Michael Baldwin in the third one, um, or to have James Lagro replace a Michael Baldwin?
1: Yes, it's like let's yes let's y- yes to this, both let's replace this nerdy pesky ginger, yeah, a hunk.
0: <laughs> which you know the story that it could have been uh brad pitt
1: right oh really
0: yeah he was up for the role as well
1: i think i remember seeing some or reading some about that um i'm so glad they did
0: not cast him because he would annoyed he would have been annoying i think even at that age i think so yeah he he's always annoyed me i i don't I'm not, <laughs> look i love him in once upon a time in hollywood i think he's fantastic in that and I like him as an older guy, but I was never like when he popped up in seven and everybody's like, oh my God, he's so good. I'm like, he kind of drags the movie down for me. I'd rather just see Morgan Freeman.
1: What about Interview, the vampire?
0: I mean, he's okay in that. Christian Slater, I loved in that. I love Christian Slater. In-
1: Replacing uh, uh, River Phoenix.
0: That's all. Didn't River Phoenix die right before they did that?
1: Right, he oh. was originally the, the lawyer, like the, the, That's the reporter. That's right.
0: Whoa, what a difference that would have been, though.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah he filled in like last minute.
0: There's going to be a little bit of that in in today's episode, I think. A little bit of what-if type scenarios. I was thinking about that with your, your specific match.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, especially in my match
0: episode six it's me it's paul the dynamic duo you love that's right paul's
1: my sting and i'm flying brian i'm the i'm oh come on you're way more sting than i than i am like i could you you could wear the rat tail now and pull it off i had a rat tail i you did have it i bet you did with your during your thrashing days <laughs> uh yeah, and I'm working on a modern day mullet right now. I just don't have the perm. Uh so
0: I like it. I like it. It's it's working. Yeah, you 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 could do the perm. You could pull it off. Right. You just have have to get punch uh punched in the throat a few times, so you uh
1: That's right. I'm coming for you and you're not gonna do anything because bring your arrogance, bring your conceit We're coming for you, and you're going down. That was terrible, Brian Pillman.
0: <laughs> no, that's actually it's pretty accurate, especially with the stammer, because uh, yeah, it wasn't always. He was still learning the promo, uh, to cut, how to cut a promo back right, in the day. So. Right, right. But Paul, how how are you doing, dude? How's uh, how's your summer going so far?
1: Yeah, it's hot, hot to trot. Um, with starring uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. It is, yes, he just left. Uh, he was over here. Hey, Paul, be right back. Oh, I'm so crazy. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's been really good. We, um, I was in, uh, St. Louis last, uh, not too, not too long ago, just this past week. And we had a benefit show for a friend of mine's, uh, daughter who had, uh, had the misfortune of, um, getting uh, some third-degree burns all over her uh, body. She's only six years old. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Poor little thing. And uh, she's an absolute sweetheart. Uh, so I went to St. Louis to uh, be part of this benefit show. It was the fight for Allison. And uh, all the all the surrounding promotions all came together to do kind of a, uh, a big card. I think there were nine matches total um, that we ended up just kind of blowing through the whole show. We just, we ended up skipping the intermission altogether. Um, we, Oh wow. Yeah. We raised, uh, I think upwards of like five, $5,000 for her medical bills.
0: Oh, that's cool. Is there a GoFundMe me for her? There is. Yeah. It's, um,
1: I think I've, it's either on my Instagram, um, or I have posted it to my Twitter. Uh, but, uh, but there is a go fund me. I'll see if I can, uh, get that reposted somehow.
0: I'll put a link to that in this this uh, this month's episode. Thank
1: you. Um, yeah, it was just a really positive experience altogether. And uh, one of my I guess one of my better performances as I'm doing more and more shows, uh, you know, the the dirt's coming off the wheels a bit.
0: You shared some footage of you taking some serious bumps in that match. Yeah. And uh, man yeah. it made me hurt just watching it.
1: I'm still feeling it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that it becomes a combination of what is this show about? What is it for? Um, Who's in the audience and who am I working with? Uh, And then lastly, what's the quality of the ring? Right. Um, Right. You always have to take those things into account when you're out there putting your life on the line. So uh, all those harmoniously, harmoniously, lined up wonderfully and i just i felt like uh trying some some things i haven't done in a while and so uh yeah i busted out a few things i haven't done in probably over five years and uh, wow came off really you know better than expected so i was really happy with it overall and uh it was just yeah it was a roaring success throughout so that was really a uh, soul nourishing uh,
0: oh, that's great to hear. That's yeah, great
1: to hear. yeah, and and it's funny because like within those points, it it really kind of falls in line with definitely with the match I selected today, um, and um, you know I know that you'll fill us in on the backstory or the surrounding stories uh, for your match as well. And so, uh, how are you? Are you doing well? Enjoying the summer with Bodie and and the family, and you know enjoying the. Uh, the California sunshine. <laughs> hey, every day I
0: wake up and I'm able to do what I get to do and, and I love it. Uh, we practice, you know, being grateful for what you have, not what you want. And every day I say that mantra to myself because, you know, have a lot of joy in my life. So yeah, the summer's been... Summer of joy. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I'm joy. I'm happiness. That's from, uh, staying alive. John Travolta. I love that line where he goes to the dance club or the dance studio. If you guys have never seen staying alive from the eighties, you got to watch it. It's so much fun. Uh, just came out on blu-ray like 4k or something.
1: What's the hell? Um, bro?
0: <laughs> so, you know, it's the follow-up where Tony Manero is now, uh, he's a Broadway dancer and he gets a gig, with uh, Finola Hughes from uh, General Hospital. Some soap opera. Yep. She's great. And um, I forget the female actress. I'm blanking right now on her name. It'll, it'll just come to me. Uh, she's also from Runaway and Flashdance and Dirty Dancing. Oh. Cynthia Cynthia Rhodes. Cynthia Rhodes. Okay. Who was in Animotion, by the way. A song called Room to Move, which is a really good song.
1: Dusting off the wheels.
0: You would yeah, sorry, I'm all over the place. Anyways, she's in love with John Travolta, Tony Monero. But Tony Monero, he's still you know, he's still a he's still a cocky jerk. Guy. And um but the, there's a scene in the in the beginning of the movie where she yeah, he goes into a dance studio and they're dancing and, and the, the instructor goes, I'm Joy and he goes, Well, I'm happiness. <laughs> 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 and I've used that before. Did, and came out the same way it came out in that movie where people are like what's wrong with you? Um yeah. no, things are good man. Things are good here and you know, yeah, to segue into your match and my match selection for this month. Um they're totally disconnected. Really quick a preview of what's to come next month. It's going to be centered around one particular wrestler that's yeah. in a particular movie. Um podcasting after dark is the other podcast i do with my co-host Corey, and we are doing crossover with two dollar late fee and um i said to paul i'm like do you want to be linked in with this crossover event so we're going to do a crossover event with two dollar late fee and podcasting after dark and paul and i are going to keep the the matches centered to that particular wrestler who is in this particular movie but stay tuned for that if you sign up to our patreon you'll get a heads up on who that person is.
1: Yes. You won't regret it.
0: No, you won't. But, uh, man, I did not regret watching either of these matches. I never regret watching either of these matches. Um, Let's jump into your match.
1: Yes. um, My match, sadly, is... It has some tragic surroundings into the the creation of this match. I chose the world-class championship classic match from May 6th, 1984. We have NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defending his championship against Carryvon Von Eric from Texas Stadium in Irving, Texas.
0: First of all, the heavyweight champion of the world from Minneapolis weighing 235 pounds, Mr. Rick Flair. And his challenger from Denton, Texas weighing
1: 259 pounds, Mr. Kerry Von Erich. Your referee is David Manning. This is it, make no mistake where you are. There are no seat belts on the chairs here at Texas Stadium. But we almost need them. The world has been waiting for this bout for months. Harry Von Erick, match, it's As it's you see the, the world down in front of you, Carry Von Eric is probably the most beautiful ring jacket I've ever seen, which has a yellow rose on the back. Says the memory, of David Von There, He was here in honor of there, there, there isn't an exact number uh, of, of the exact numbers in attendance that I saw. Now, mind you, this was the biggest house. Uh, for a professional wrestling match at the time and so yeah uh, some numbers I've seen were 32,000 others I've seen were upwards of 50,000 in attendance wow Yeah, wow. Uh, it was deemed as the parade of champions uh, now they had done a parade of champions Fritz von Erich had put together a parade of champions uh, and had had a few parade of champions uh, they were always at Texas Stadium And it had a few, I think he did one or two in the 60s. I know he did uh, another in the 70s, I want to say. But this one would become the first of what would become an annual. And it was the first uh, Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. Now, this match took place on May 6th, uh, several months prior, on February 10th. The oldest Von Erich, David Von Erich, uh, passed away in Japan at the age of 25 uh, in his hotel room. And the final report was ruptured intestines, acute int- intonitis. Um, there had been some interviews where Ric Flair had actually mentioned that uh, there was very likely an overdose of hydrocodone. Uh, one of David's best friends was uh, Bruiser Brody, who apparently had gotten rid of all the evidence, like thrown away the pill bottles and all this stuff. Uh, the Von Eriks had tried to come out and say that he had injured his uh, insides in a match uh, just recently in Japan, but he hadn't wrestled yet in Japan. And so that kind of screwed up their um, their story. And it started to kind of point more towards what Blair had said uh, or hinted at. Um, Needless to say, David was considered the overall package. Um, You know, Carrie certainly had the look. You know, he was um, he had this godlike physique. And Kevin uh, also had a great physique, but wasn't as good a talker. And David seemed to encompass all of these things. He was really the one that um, the NWA had agreed would go on to face and ultimately unseat Ric Flair. And so when his passing came about uh, very unexpectedly, uh, the NWA kind of, the committee came together and and thought, well, let's... Um, Let's put this show together for for May, because I believe uh, Carrie had had a few dates, um, which, you know, soon after. I mean, that was the thing about Fritz was he he kept his his boys out there and he kept them working regardless of the circumstances. Uh, but needless to say, this was the first uh, Von Erich Memorial show, uh, and it was the biggest one that they did. And so we have Ric Flair defending his championship against Kerry Von Erich. Now, also in this match, it was a no timeout. And so there was no time limit. Um, there was no countout. And the stipulation was that if Ric Flair got himself disqualified, the title would still change hands. So he wasn't, you know, so it, the fans were going to see Ric Flair either win with a, with a, you know, with a three count, well, they were going to see the title switch. They were not going to let Ric Flair uh, weasel his way out with a DQ or a count out and hold on to that that NWA title. So um, we see, Va- you know, Kerry coming to the ring. Uh, he's given the yellow rose. David was known as the yellow rose of Texas. Um, it's a very emotional um, kind of, surroundings obviously to the entire thing um the match itself so we have uh world-class championship wrestling mainstay and head referee dave manning uh refereeing here we have mark lawrence on commentary um it's this match is less than 12 minutes so yeah we're not looking at the classic iconic kind of uh match that you would think i think you know carrie and flared had, had matches prior to this uh i think one that was even upwards of 45 minutes um and given all of carrie's he wasn't as private about his uh substance abuse now all the von Ericks, for the most part had had dipped their toes in in having some form of a Substance abuse issues, but Kerry was the most obvious of the bunch, and it, w- it was no secret. Whereas I think you look at someone like Kevin, and you would think, like, I don't think he ever took anything. Um, well, there's speculation on it for all of them, but he certainly would have been the most uh, straight and narrow, clean cut, uh, and private in regards to that. Kerry would have been the opposite. Um, and so the idea was let's 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 change the title let's switch the title we'll put it on carrie but he did end up dropping it back to flair 18 days later in japan because wow. the thought process was that carrie wasn't ultra dependable to be world champion you know to be into world heavyweight champion he had he had no showed a couple shows um, I think you know Flair talked about there were a couple matches he had had with Kerry where he showed up and forgot to tie his boots, um, and you know so just wasn't all there. But but this match really works in that you have Ric Flair, who's truly one of if not the greatest professional wrestler of all time, and Kerry was was easily led, and you see yeah. that this isn't a crazy match full of um insane, you know, spots or, or moments, so to speak. There are some great moments in this match. But for the most part, uh you're seeing these two go out there and do what they do. Um and so we see but but you know really with with the surrounding atmosphere of what is going on and why this match is taking place and what it's what it's in honor of uh I don't know that I can remember hearing a, a louder hotter crowd I mean it's really actually it's it's deafening to an extent you know you see flair he's locking up he's trying to to wrestle uh Carrie to the ground Carrie escapes Crowdy erupts. right um they're locking up Carrie gets away crowd erupts uh he grabs a headlock he nails him with a big tackle crowd erupts. I mean they're they're a th- Thousand percent behind Kerry Von Erich, and rightfully so. Um, you know, Flair is doing everything he can to get the advantage. One thing that I noticed in this match quite a bit actually was that um, Flair would throw a lot of direct knees to Kerry's stomach. Like there were several moments throughout the match where Flair would grab a hold of Kerry's trunks, and I kept thinking, "Oh, he's gonna." yank him into the turnbuckle uh but he would just kind of get himself up and grab him by the trunks and drive a knee straight into carrie's guts you know i mean it was it 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 looked extremely convincing but it was just yeah um he did it multiple times in this match and uh always to gain the upper hand uh but really this match is uh is really a, a I think it's a beautiful display of Flair doing the honors in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's he's letting Kerry get the best of him. Uh he's obviously the powerhouse. Early on we see Kerry uh do the overhead press slam uh to Rick Flair and dump him down. And mind you, Kerry could do no wrong in this match. Every step that he took honored a huge pop. I mean, the crowd was yeah. eating up every moment of it. Um, and, you know, Flair eventually starts to get the upper hand um, and getting the advantage a little bit here and there, uh, dropping the knees, doing all the Ric Flair things that we've come to love and and uh, I guess also expect in a Ric Flair match. Um, right. But, you know, it's a, it's a pretty... I think this is such a historical match, not just for the fact that it's a title switch, not just because it's um, at Texas stadium in front of the biggest house that world-class had ever seen. um, But really just for tragically being the first of many uh, Von Erich memorials, you know, I mean, David, David was uh, technically the second Von Erich son to pass away. I believe their very first child had died from electrocution uh, yeah. as a baby. Yeah. Uh, I want to say possibly even in like the bathtub or something.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or like a little pool or something. Yeah, like.
1: just absolutely tragic. Um, yeah. But when you think of the Von Ericks, you know, there were quite a few of them. I want to say there were five of them. Yes. And you, so you had David was the oldest. I want to think that either Carrie or Kevin came next. Um, but when you look at the Von Eric boys, you always thought of them as kind of um, a threesome. So you had David, you had Carrie, you had Kevin. Uh right. had two other brothers, Mike, and then there was Chris. And without us getting too far into the tragedy of the Von Erics because it's it's definitely widely covered and um, you know A24s uh, long-wrapped their production of of the uh the iron claw uh film which basically focuses on the von Erich family and the tragedies surrounding them um but you looked at it really as kind of these three and you looked at it as david yeah mind you david was six foot eight which is six foot eight six foot eight which might explain a lot of why he had such a close friendship too with another six foot eighter in bruiser Brody. But yeah, right. People quite understand just how big this 25 year old was, you know, but he, he could talk on the mic. He could, he could more than carry his own in the ring. I mean, he was, he was really the the whole deal. And it's, you know, there's speculation that Fritz might've looked at him as the favorite And that's why he would always push so heavily for David to be the one representing world class by going to Japan and doing these tours um, or going to Israel or, going, you know, wherever it might be. But they were really spanning as much of the globe as possible. And before WrestleMania really took off, Fritz was really one of the first to to really sink his teeth into that TV syndication type situation, you know. Right. Um, I mean, they were on ESPN, you know, which a lot of people think like professional wrestling on ESPN, like that's pretty crazy. Well, guess what? You have hot dog eating contests on ESPN now. So take your pick and uh, bolt. Yeah,
0: and you have—I mean, chess. I think they did yeah. chess on yeah. chess on there too. Bold, so
1: bold I mean, come on. Next week, hula hoop will be on there soon enough. Nothing. Ping pong. Hula hoopers out there.
0: Oh, nothing against chess because it's a mental sport for sure. But come
1: on, it really is, and that's that's really that's rick flair to a nut to a nutshell you know or in a nutshell he was just this mental kind of sass and he would amazing uh yeah. just absolute opportunist take whatever chance he can whatever opening he can uh buy himself the the amount of time he needed to catch a breather to create distance i mean just the quintessential heel and uh you know to be the man you had to beat the man and that's what we saw here we saw flair um you know understanding he was out muscled outsized and he starts uh trying to to really wear carry down he's doing the knee drops um you know there's one point when he goes to grab carry into the uh abdominal stretch in which Carrie uh, quickly just counters it and grabs him into a big abdominal stretch. Uh, Flair hits the big uh, hip toss out of that. Um, some more knee drops. Um, we do end up seeing the, you know, the Flair catching Carry uh, and tossing him outside to which Kerry quickly gets up and Flair counters him. But then Carry comes back with the big shoulder from the apron and the big sunset flip back in I mean all of these things that Kerry is doing are, are creating mass mass uh applause and, and 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 cheers and and the pops just deafening like I said in mean, Texas Stadium if you're not familiar with it look it up it's it's quite the uh quite the arena and Stadium uh I guess Stadium right it's bigger than an arena I mean how it's yeah it's insane so
0: it, it's insane,
1: it yeah. really is. It really is, and to think that you know, this is the early, I and mean, this is 1984, and they're near, nearly, you know, at a what would look at as a capacity crowd. Like, uh, it wasn't sold out, but it was just about there. It certainly looked it, um, and
0: certainly before the Silver Dome, yeah, WrestleMania 3, yes. where I think people in their minds go, That was the big, and and I think it was at that point, that was the biggest capacity crowd, right? But this. This was insane.
1: Yeah, and without all of the the gazillions of dollars, you know, already in that, that McMahon lineage, you know, so right. Is very much the biggest uh of the territories. And you know, uh toward, you know, we see Flair get his pounded, uh hop up to the top, he gives a little woo, Carrie intercepts him, throws him off quickly sends him to the turnbuckle he does the flip up and fall back down um it it looks like uh like carry might have him here and then uh flair quickly uh another knee to the gut um i mean he i i believe he hit him with the knee to the to the gut uh straightforward too like driving it straight in um at least three or four times um at you know gets to the point where he's trying to do the uh, figure four and Carey's kicking him off and kicking him off. Carey uh, ends up uh, nailing him, I believe, with a big tackle. There's uh, a clothesline attempt in there, which then flares coming off the ropes and gets caught with the big iron claw, which was the trademark move of the Von Erics. Um right brought on by their father Fritz von Erich who uh, in his heyday you know was kind of a uh, well for lack of a better word he was kind of just this big German heel, some would say even kind of like a Nazi character. Um, but you know that that's that's that soon became the big trademark of, of the of the boys the, the big right. iron claw. I don't have very big hands. I mean, I have average size hands. I think I'm not sure how you measure up your hands. You have you look have... how big my hand is. You've got it's quite the web. Head. Yeah, my... you've got quite the web. Um, <laughs> this is a. This, Did you should see my feet. This is a move that if you happen to find someone with a big, a big paw on them, and you have them lock this claw on your head, it actually hurts because.
0: Well, thumbs, you, yeah, you push down on the temples yeah, hard enough. It'll hurt.
1: Pinky are driving into the temple. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, unless you're trying to get rid of a, a migraine, you know, this probably isn't, <laughs> it's not a comfortable hold at all. Um, it'll
0: cause a migraine.
1: It, yeah, it certainly will. Um, but, but to me, really, one of the things that truly stands out to me and I know I'm not the only one about this match is the finish because we, yeah, we don't see the finish happen because of the claw. And we certainly don't see it happen because of the figure four countered into a roll up kind of situation. Um, but it's very much a back and forth into Blair going for another uh, hip toss attempt in which Carry reverses it into a backslide, and we get the one, two, the three. Here's Flair from the ropes, wants to toss Carey across. Carry's got him. Here's the Nelson pin. Two, three. The dream Yes. Smokes, brand new NWA World Heavyweight Champion, right there in the heart of Texas, in front of all his adoring fans and family, like everyone who, who truly adopted the Von Erichs as as their own, and who they felt the Von Erichs were were true uh, representatives of them, and felt like yeah. they were family. You know, I don't know that there will ever be another. Um. I mean is symbiosis even like the right connection here, but just uh the connection between fans and and talent, you know, but but legit family, legit brothers representing uh right not just a city or a town, an entire state. And so, you know, three months uh removed from the tragic passing of of the beloved oldest brother and who everyone felt and knew in their hearts was the one to take the title off of Ric Flair. Um, you know, three months removed from the tragic passing of, of David, uh, we now get to see Kerry Von Eric defeat Ric Flair, become the new NWA heavyweight champion right there in the heart of Texas. And, um, it's, it's a, it's truly a historic match, uh, with, with really just an iconic finish. That backslide is absolutely amazing and, and legit, you know, and Ric Flair, you know, the, the, the other Varner's come into the ring and there's a few of the, the talent from the back and, and Ric Flair, uh, you know, having not been knocked out kind of gets up close to him and says, there's not gonna be any trouble. It, you tell your old man like rick flair will be back you know what i mean i will be back and uh yeah I'll, you know funny enough 18 days later in japan um now i believe Kerry did defend it against flair within that 18 months uh regionally um and so you know it wasn't like he just held, looked at the title for 18 days and then went to Japan and lost it. I mean, he was still defending it within that 18 days. A few of those against Blair on, uh,
0: interesting. Okay.
1: But yeah, just, just a really, truly historic moment. Um, not just for, for world-class championship wrestling, not just for the the NWA world heavyweight title, but for Texas wrestling and more importantly for the Von Eric family. You know, because this was truly the the tribute show to honor the Yellow Rose of Texas, David Flair. Oh, I'm sorry, David uh, Von Erich. Um, I don't know. If David Flair was probably born, but he probably would have been
0: no. And I don't believe they had a tribute show for David Flair.
1: So. No, hopefully not. Uh, I, I like David Flair. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um,
0: he did not have the notoriety, obviously, that David Von Erich had.
1: No, but sadly, later on, years later. Uh, you know, Rick would lose his son as well, Reed Flair. Uh yeah, Reed I to uh I believe to heroin, tragically, which is really troubling. I had met Reed uh and David. I always got along really well with David Flair when he was backstage, but uh I remember meeting Reed a few times and he was always um you know, a good kid from, from all counts of it. So that was a pretty shocking one as well.
0: This this is an interesting story though, because David Uh, And and, and I will amend a comment I made in in, in a previous episode regarding David Von Erich. I called him beefy and a brawler. And I think I just meant that more in a sense of like him being, you know, so just look like he could kick the crap out of anybody that got in his face. That's more what I thought about that.
1: Total Cowboy, country boy. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I I think there would be no rip on Yellowstone if it wasn't for David Von Erich. You know, there's a there's a attitude there. And David Von Erich, we will get to I I have uh, I'm teeing up a the David Von Erich feud with um, Jimmy Garvin. Oh, because it's so much fun. Yeah. We will definitely do that down the road.
1: With the farm um, work and the barn work and doing all that stuff. It's sunshine. Yeah.
0: One of the classic skits of, <laughs> of pro wrestling in the eighties. It's so good. It's so good. Um But that family, you know, has gone through so much tragedy And I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think there will ever, there was or ever will be another family like that. You know, people will bring up the Hart Foundation, the Hart family, but it's a different type of family. Right. These brothers from Texas, well, in, in the sense that the Hart brothers from Canada had that Canadian vibe to them. They looked like that was Canada, right? Right, right. Just like this felt, but that was... But that was another country. And, and you know, for, for lack of a better way to explain it, the Von Erichs were like America's sons, you know, in a way.
1: It's funny you bring that up because uh, for any of our Canadian listeners out there, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Canada, Calgary would be kind of considered, uh, or at least Alberta, but Calgary specific would be considered kind of the most uh texas-ish of any of the canadian cities uh okay. possibly being the most texas of the provinces and so when you look at the heart the Hart family uh they did spend a lot of time in texas with the funks and uh, most of them wore cowboy boots and were cowboys you know the the calgary stampede is a yearly thing. You know, it's, it's the most roadie of, the Canadian cities. Um, Mm -hmm. and probably, you know, the most westerny of the provinces is Alberta, you know, and Calgary specifically. So interesting. It is an interesting connection. You know, when you think about it, that's cool.
0: I mean, in those two families, there, there really isn't anything else like that. No. There's never been a Hurt Foundation like that. Right, right. The Erick's, right? And, and there, maybe there never will be. You know, we obviously see father-son's yeah. generational deals, right? But we don't see, you know, four, three... You're right. It was really the three brothers, Chris and Mike, came along. And you guys can watch that story when the movie comes out. I'm sure they'll talk about that as well. And I'm really looking forward to that, actually. I think it's going to be tremendous. Um, but really, David, Carrie, and Kevin were the family, were the Von Ericks And David, man, what I, I was when you chose this match, and I'm watching Carrie wrestle Flair. And I was going, and you had mentioned that they Carrie and Flair had wrestled once or uh, prior to this, obviously. I think that's what kicked off the whole Freebird feud because right Carrie was wrestling Flair for the title, and Michael P.S. Hayes interjected, yes, and interfered absolutely. But I'm going down this rabbit hole of like, man, what if the Von Erics showed up against the Four Horsemen back oh, in the day, wow. you know? Yeah. And brought in, like, the uh, tea up, well, now I'm thinking 85, 86, Magnum TA joined the Von Erichs right. and, and right. or Dusty Rhodes and the Von Erics. Oh, I mean, oh, wow.
1: yeah, that would have been insane. The place where so been-
0: many what ifs, oh. right? Yeah. But this match, you know, um, to have it end the way it did, I'm totally okay with that i'm I'm totally okay with it going the route it did. It didn't feel like a typical flare match oh, like you're right there are certain spots that are signature throughout that you go that's that signature flare that signature signature flare but but it was a different style, which I really appreciated Flair could go with anybody with anybody anybody anybody. And, and say what you will about who he is as a person now or later on. And I'm just purely talking about wrestling, uh, you know, and his personality and who he was in that ring. Nothing compared to him. And so Carrie had that, like, feverish energy, whether it was fueled by something else, who knows. But, you know, obviously he's feeding off the crowd. There's that Ultimate Warrior vibe to him where he's just, like, tossing around, like, that spastic stuff, which I love. Right. And... It was so unique, and for it, it had to end that way, right? Right. Carrie, and what I found interesting, too, was Flair comes to the ring with no fanfare. He's just him in his robe, no ring music. Right. And then modern-day warrior Tom Sawyer hits from uh, Rush. Yes. Which is the best use of a Rush song ever, in my (laughs) opinion. I agree. But then it cuts, and it goes into Yellow Rose of Texas, and it's such a great, like, you're right, the crowd was just un glued Mm -hmm. you know and 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 it's again a typical world-class entrance where the (laughs) people are grabbing and kissing and you're like man this is just you can't do this anymore with with the the tiniest piece of ring rope that goes you know that's the barrier (laughs) um and it ends with a backslide and you're like it wasn't a submission it wasn't it wasn't a a, a traditional pin one you know where he's covering him it was it was like a move that is underappreciated you know just like i think the the small package got played out over over and over again especially with flare and sting like that was a signature thing was to roll up flare into a small package right. when he's about to hit the figure four Figure four, roll him up yeah right and then th- the way it ends is just perfect and you've got the who's who of like obscure wrestling names you know buck zomoff or whatever the guy's name is uh, is out there i'm like oh that's buck zomoff the the guy with the boom box in the awa or Zumhoff or whatever the heck his name is. right right <laughs> he, he won't probably come up on territory marks by the way um no offense but uh but you know it, it's it's such an interesting and we've seen this with with big wins big championship wins where the wrestlers hit the ring and everyone's hugging but the emotion for this is so different it's so- because you're dealing with it's it's you know you were at a benefit show for your friend's uh daughter right and benefit shows have a different vibe to them there's there's a like a somber quality and also a joyful quality depending on the situation sure you know sure. if someone has passed versus someone who is recovering absolutely um and so the the energy here is just like super emotional because they're everyone's mourning it was like a big memorial funeral, right. post-funeral for everybody to, to share their love of this guy who I think um, Mark Lawrence even makes the comment like, you know, David's watching down from heaven right, with a smile on his face or something like that. And it felt so genuine, it didn't feel like uh, forced, you know? And so yeah. I love this match. I watched it many times, yeah. and, you know? Um, and, and I'm so glad you brought it. I'm so glad we're continuing... World class. Sure. I think we did it last month or I might but, be, uh,
1: um, just because I'm from Texas.
0: <laughs> well, it, 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 it tees up when we get to my match, it tees up on the Texas. Texas is a hotbed for emotional wrestling. Um, some of my favorite moments from wrestling come from Texas. So there's something there.
1: And I believe that Texas, uh, Provided, as did so many of these territories that we're so fortunate to revisit, they provided so many of these stars that the common fan possibly would only recognize from having been on one of the, you know, certainly WWF, but uh also wcw nwa wcw moving onwards um as the tv companies really started to blow up you know um touching on that you know we would see Kerry show up in wwf uh right you know a little bit later um as texas tornado and and again sadly in a similar situation when he ended up winning the intercontinental title off of mr perfect he only had that title for about 3 months and it was for yeah almost the exact same reasons you know?
0: off of a guy who well, it, well we we may cover WWF at some point but off of a guy who had a, a, a like a flair type uh you know reputation
1: Absolutely. in the ring and work with anybody
0: yeah and and i want to shout i want to shout out to um you know fellow or friend of the show and and patron uh, Sylvia, she she asked if I would eventually do a, a unboxing of the Von Erichs wow. family album, um, which wow. I will. I will, uh, of course. Sylvia, thanks for bringing that up. She's the one, by the way, who suggested we do the unboxing for the Empire. Oh, that's box great. Set.
1: Great, great idea, yeah. Sylvia. Thank you.
0: But I will share really quickly, and and for those that are listening to this versus watching it, it'll be posted on our YouTube. Really cool fo- family photos, snapshot photos of the ring of these guys. Yeah. Um. De- uh. I'll get. I'll make sure that you know Paul and I do an unboxing of this book sure. down the road. So thank you, Sylvia, for that suggestion. But man, um, 1984 was a very cool year.
1: Super cool year.
0: It was the year I moved out to California uh, from Michigan. Oh, so wow. It's memorable to me, but. Paul, uh, do you have any fun facts from
1: 1984? Um, Well, more specifically, in May of 1984, when this match took place, May 6th, uh, I want to say two days prior, there was a fun little film brought to us by Canon, which struck gold for them and was at the top of the box office. Do you know what that film might have been? Canon
0: 84 does it star an iconic action hero
1: funny enough it does not (laughs) here we go again
0: (laughs) please scat me for it no
1: um (laughs) funny funny enough it does not but it does capitalize on what would soon be an emerging trend uh exploding onto the scene culturally
0: would it be american ninja
1: no, but that that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, they made two of these, and this they made two of them, and it's a canon movie, and it's a canon movie. And this was the first, and they rushed to put it out because there was another very similar movie coming out, and they wanted to be the first one of it uh, to come oh out. My God. For.
0: Oh, breaking, breaking,
1: breakin', yes. I guess in a way, it does have an action star soon to be. Oh, Jean-Claude in the background in the singlet. Yeah. (laughs) Doing the dance. Uh, Hey,
0: you guys, I do it better than Kurt Henning. Yeah. (laughs) Go back to our previous episode.
1: Yeah. uh, I'll just list off some of these films. Um, I'm, I'm guessing they were in order in terms of the box office. Now, mind you, um, a couple weeks later, we would be uh blessed with temple of doom indiana jones and the temple of doom so before that came out which i think was in late may if i'm not mistaken um we had break we had romancing the stone uh we Classic. had 16 candles uh we had Probably my favorite of any Tarzan, anything, uh, Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan. Oh, with Christopher Lambert. Oh, such an overlooked film. If you, if you, For any of you out there who are Tarzan fans and want to see Tarzan in the most uh, serious and kind of dramatic portrayal, um, it's a heart wrencher as well. Um, yeah, I agree. And then we had uh, the fun mermaid fantasy splash, right? Who I think uh, any young, young man at at that, at that time uh, was happy to see more than once. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the summer of dancing, right? So after splash, we had footloose. Oh, wow. You're we all dominating the box office at the time. Yeah. Um, having come out. Either in February, March, April, uh, but leading up to to February, or I'm sorry, to May sixth. Um, this one I was not familiar with. Maybe you can share some insight. It's called Moscow in Moscow on the Hudson.
0: Yeah, with um, Robin Williams.
1: Okay, interesting. And, I've never heard he, of this film.
0: Yeah, I believe Maria Conchita Alonso is in it. Oh, he, wow. he moves. Yeah. He moves out to, he, he migrates to America. I think it's a drama. Okay. Actually. I
1: figured. I haven't, I, no idea. I haven't
0: seen it in forever.
1: Yeah. So we had Moscow on the Hudson. I do like Maria Conchito Alonso, uh, especially what she was. She, uh, she's running man, right? Later on running man and colors, she's colors, in colors, right? Not to be confused with, the Female lead in Predator, though, because I think a lot of times people mix those two up. Um,
0: yes, but she was in Predator too.
1: She was in Predator too. You're absolutely right. Yes, that's a good call. <laughs> um, so one of my absolute favorite films, uh, possibly my favorite in this franchise. Um, it was still in the top 10 at the box office. We had Friday the 13th, part four, final chapter. Can't go wrong. I think it's one of the best, in my opinion. Easily, easily one of the best, if not the best of the Friday Thirteenth films. Uh, We also had the film Hard Bodies. Uh, We had Weekend Pass, uh, which I'm not familiar with either. I see the confusion.
0: Sounds like a sex comedy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, as Hard Bodies, that was like.
0: I think that was yeah. That's a sex the sex comedy dramedy thing. Yeah.
1: And then we had uh, rounding out. We had Purple Hearts, which also not familiar with. Uh, and then the uh, the Stephen King classic, uh, Children of the Corn.
0: Oh, with a friend of the show, John Philbin from
1: Oh North John Shore, great, yeah. And uh, yeah, also Turtle also featuring one of my uh, my acting coaches uh, in the past, uh, Courtney Gaines.
0: Oh, from Camp I Me Love and
1: Colors. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So um great year for cinema, nineteen eighty no doubt. Absolutely great year for cinema. Um and um uh, yeah, hopefully that took some of you listeners down memory lane and you wanna revisit the great movies of nineteen eighty four.
0: A lot of people say '84 was the best year. I don't agree with that, but I can see why they would think that.
1: I agree. I agree with you with your your sentiment on it. Not, you know, it's a toss up. I think I have so many years of the you know, there's '84, there's '86, there's '87, there's '88. Uh, It's tough. That's a tough. um, That's a really tough one to decide which which is the best.
0: Well, it's purely. It's purely. Personal, right? Because what, what are the movies that are your favorites from the eighties and what year did they come out? Personally, I think 87 is my favorite year, but you know, there's, there's wiggle room in there. Sometimes people go, what about 82? I'm like, yeah, no, I just basically weighed on where, what year did most of my favorite movies come out? And I believe 87 is that year.
1: What, 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 which one in 87 for you? Is it masters of the universe or. (laughs)
0: Well, Masters stood out to me, but you know, there's so many great ones. There's Inner Space, there's um, North Shore, Whitewater Summer, a lot of obscure type movies that I look back now and and say those are some of my favorite movies. I, Predator, I think, came out in '87, and um, that that's one of my all time favorite action movies. But then like 88 is a great year because Phantasm two came out in 88. Right. And I love Phantasm twos in my top 10 oh, of all wow. times. So great. Uh, you know, uh, I think Prince of darkness came out in 87 and I believe they live came out in 88. Right.
1: So, um, wow,
0: you know, and I know you're a big uh, action figure fan and I will be a do I, I, maybe we should do it together. I have an unboxing soon of uh, a particular uh, figure that uh nada uh what goes under the name nada right it's roddy piper from they live so uh but he's in this outfit from they live so we'll be doing a unboxing i love that i still have it in my closet i have not opened
1: it that figure's great Yeah. yeah yeah that's a great one so
0: Are you ready for me? Are you ready for this?
1: Bring it. I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm perming my mullet as we speak. I can see your rat tail going out. (laughs) Hit that
0: ring bell. My match. My match is from November twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. Oh my gosh. What a like, the tail end. There's there's a lot going on in this match. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, but what I will do is I'll start with this. So, this is an interesting match that I chose, and I have not said the name yet, but y'all probably already know what it is because you saw it in the show notes. This match is from November 25th, 1989. Worldwide Wrestling. Uh, Corpus Christi, Texas was the setting for this match. It is between... The total package, Lex Luger and flyin' Brian Pillman.
1: Hey Lex, we get to do it again, one more time, for that U.S. heavyweight title. So bring your conceit, your arrogance, your million-dollar body, your $3 chairs, because I'm bringing everything I got, because I'm going after your title, because I want it, and I'm going to get it. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent from Chicago, thoughts on this match. here's lex luger right here live in a living color doing it only a like guy can do it the total package lex luger who rules the sport of professional wrestling on his way then when you're going down i'm on my way to a clean sweep of stuff
0: lex luger was the united states champion and his title was on the line for this match this is interesting because well I think what I'll do is I'll talk about the wrestlers first, and then we'll talk about the uh, yeah the 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 background. So, obviously, for those of you that don't know, Lex Luger is a he's he's been around up until this point had been around quite a few years in the business, but he started out uh, as a professional football player, and a born Lawrence Wendell Puffhoff, P F O H L. I don't know how he's Puffle Puffle Puffle. Bowl. There you Three go. Bowl. Uh he played at the University of Miami in Penn State. He played for the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Bandits and the Memphis Showboats and the Jacksonville or the Jacksonville Bulls. Um and the Montreal Alouettes. Okay. Wow. Right? He was an offensive lineman back in the day. Anyways, uh we will tell I will tell you more about kind of his uh overall earlier career when we get to another match of his. I just want to touch on his football stuff. Um, at this point in Luger's career in 1989, he you know, he was in the Horseman, he was out of the Horseman at this point. He was a face, he was a heel, he was a face, he was a heel. At this point, he was a heel. Flash back to a few episodes prior when we talked about Ricky Steamboat versus Terry Funk and Luger inter- comes out at the end of that match, turns heel attacks Ricky Steamboat. Well, that was in the summer of 89. They had their match at Great American Bash uh, in, in July, and then that ended with Luger getting disqualified, and Luger would continue on a storyline with Steamboat for a few more matches. Then he carries on a storyline with his opponent in this match, Brian Pillman, flying Brian Pillman. Before I get to that, I will just simply say flying Brian Pillman made his debut in NWA in 1989. He was up in Canada, uh, for, trained by Stu Hart. And he and he did play football prior to being a pro wrestler. He was in the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, and the Calgary Stampeders. So there's your callback yeah. to earlier. And Jim Ross would love to talk about how he played in the Cincinnati Bengals and the special Force the special teams uh on the Cincinnati Bengals
1: what and is that? Pillman that's not one I'm not a football guy I'm the worst Texan when it comes to football what is special team what does that mean
0: so he was you know the the teams that are on for the kickoff and the punting uh and the field goal kicks stuff like that I believe that's what the special teams are for okay they're like the you know when the kickoff comes and the 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 defense comes down marching down the ri- uh marching down the ring <laughs> marching down the field towards the offense they were the, that was the special teams that would try to take out the interesting
1: okay I just figured that was just like the defensive team
0: <laughs> no he that was like the there the, I mean obviously I think there were guys who also were on the defense for the the regular plays, but I think they also, there was special teams guys too. Okay. I'm not the hugest football guy either, but I do know that from like, from, I think, Jim Ross mentioning
1: (laughs) that Pillman was, it sounds special.
0: It does sound special. (laughs) Um, Pillman, you know, made his debut in 89 in, in NWA. Actually, I think they showed the vignette his amazing vignette where he's working out in his dolphin shorts, uh, thick white socks and high tops, and nothing else, maybe a gold chain in the gym, uh, at the uh, same clash of champions where funk and steamboat wrestled. Oh. There's that venue, the vin, uh, vignette for that. And unfortunately, because WWF or WWE didn't secure the rights to the original music, you can't hear. The original music that was playing for that vignette, but I think you can go on YouTube and look for it. His ring music was Rocket by Def Leppard. Yeah. Which to me, like the minute that hit, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. This is the guy I want to see. And, you know, Pillman came out in the summer of 89, uh, had a few kind of warm-up matches with various guys to kind of elevate his status, but he was kind of billed as an underdog, even though he was a pretty you know, sizable guy. I don't consider him to be tiny by any means. Easily too um, or
1: so. Yeah, he was yeah,
0: six feet tall. You know, Luger was six foot, uh, I believe Luger was six
1: five maybe?
0: foot four. Six foot four. Yeah, 265. Um, Pillman was six feet, 227. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, he's obviously a little bit tinier than uh, Luger, but not by Not by that much. And you actually see it in this match, too. So, and he was trained by Stu Hart, by the way, Brian Pillman. Yeah. Trained by Stu Hart. So, Pillman, uh, you know, gets built up as this underdog, this this new talent. He was considered, like, the rookie of the year because he was a high flyer. He was doing moves that I'm sure other people did. But he he would do one of his signature moves was, you know, he goes to the top rope and does the flying clothesline off the top, off the middle of the top rope, you know, not off a turnbuckle, right. which to me at the time
1: one of the early spring orders.
0: There you go, right. And so uh he gets a match with Luger earlier in the year for the US title. I believe it was at Halloween Havoc. And after that happens luger dominates and wins he has a rematch at the clash of champions in november clash of champions nine new york knockout and that was supposed to end the feud that was it at that point it was like underdog versus this egotistical maniac heel and so this was to me kind of like a not a throwaway match but like a a match you kind of figured the outcome was going to be obvious, right? It's on Worldwide Wrestling. It's, I believe, the main event of that night. Um, we're at the tail end of November. We're going into December, which is setting up Starcade. And Starcade was going to have a tournament with a bunch of wrestlers, um, you know, vying for an eventual number one contender shot. Great Muda had been undefeated, and there was like, who's going to defeat Great Muda? It's got to be Lex Luger is he going to be the guy to do that? So there's this idea in the background that we've got this big pay-per-view to sell, but we need, we need this match to kind of highlight both of these guys going into it to both look good. And it's Luger versus Pillman. Gary, Michael Capetta does the honors, by the way, I, I just got his book body slams by Gary, Michael Capetta. Yeah. He's and, uh, um,
1: great. great. read.
0: looking forward to reading that very much.
1: Um, now this is so, the day after Thanksgiving am I is that right this would be yeah right is that would it's, it's a ratings boom for absolutely wrestling.
0: yeah and you needed a big match and I would say I'd say Pillman was one of the biggest baby faces in the company at the time already and prior to this prior to this match the at the at that clash, that clash featured Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in an I Quit match. And will that match come up next month? Stay tuned, perhaps. (laughs) Um, And they, after that match was over, Luger comes and heel turns it on Flair to set up a possible title match there. Uh, Sting comes to the aid and they all go at it. And so Sting and Flair are both attacked by luger and i think oh yeah the great muda interfered too you know but luger ultimately was like the one who he beat up flair and sting he stings friend and so luger is like the ultimate heel leading into this the reason i bring up sting is it comes into the play at the end of this match so, Gary Michael Capetta introduces both guys to the ring. Jim Ross of course is on commentary along with Chris Cruz, who I was never a huge fan of. I don't dislike Chris Cruz, I'm just like he didn't do anything for me, you know? He was kind of milk toast and bland. I feel like he was a wanted I'm sure he was a big fan of Gordon Soly, who is a legend. But wasn't the same caliber he didn't he had this kind of cadence about him that just didn't get me to want to listen to him talk
1: i mean
0: very forgettable um tommy young's the referee and you guys know i love tommy young he's my all-time favorite referee he he's just like he he looked like he could take no shit and then i see him in a documentary and i hear him talk and i'm like he's got a very like soft kind of not a not an intimidating voice if this guy was in the ring with me and the ref, if he came up to me, he's like, hey, watch what you're doing. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it was kind of weird. I'm like, I don't know. The voice didn't match the uh, the the energy. Um, what I love about this is as they're coming to the ring, both wrestlers cut promos, pre-recorded promos that were very, very prevalent in the WWF at the time. So up in the corner.
1: Uh oh, Road Warriors promo, isn't there?
0: So, yeah, so it's interesting. They get in the ring and they start the match and and they go at it. They start brawling each other because they have a rivalry already. It's a built-in rivalry. They've, nice. you know, this is they already had their last match to end the rivalry, but they brought it back for this for this night. And then they immediately cut to the Road Warriors, cutting a promo on Starcade. Luger and
1: Pillman hooking it up right here. Let's take this opportunity to future shock the night of the iron Man. iron man well doesn't our song have a similar tune don't we come out to the song iron man well there's a good reason for it because we are the iron men the skyscrapers they might think they're the iron men but they'll find out we're gonna melt them down
0: and you're like Oh, okay, and it's cool. It's a cool promo. It's, it's actually
1: it's, just Hawk. Animal doesn't say a word. <laughs>
0: no, it's just Hawk. But it's the Road Warriors. God, when I love the Road Warriors so much. Just very simple. They weren't overdone. Um, it's a really funny. Uh, you know, he's Future Shock.
1: Iron Man. That we have Iron Man in our song. We're the Iron Man.
0: Come back from a commercial break and it joins the match in progress. A lot of forearm smashes from Luger. That was kind of his signature move. He would hit you with his forearm all the time. But man, Pillman, who clearly was a fan of Flair, would hit chops on Luger that you could hear from one side of the arena to the other. In this, quote, capacity filled arena, which I believe there was a lot of heat and hotness going on with the crowd, too um hard hitting match luger luger but luger sells so well at getting hurt in fact i think luger is better at selling his getting injured or feeling the pain than he is when he's actually inflicting the pain other than his uh signature backbreaker move right yeah. the, the torture rack crazy. um the crowd was super hot for Pillman who's kind of being sold as like this underdog, he still continues to be sold as an underdog, but he's really going toe to toe with Luger the whole match. He doesn't let up. Uh, they, they they go out of the ring at one point, but you never get the sense that Pillman is is like the the, the mid carter or the jobber. You always get the sense like, no, this guy could win the match. In fact, he would go on to have matches with like Flair, for example where you thought he was going to win, and maybe he will win a match. We'll find out uh, early in his career. But the the match continues out of the ring, goes back in the ring, and uh, Pillman tries to get Luger into the turnbuckles, pull him into the turnbuckles, but Luger counters it by throwing Pillman into the turnbuckles, and then he gets Pillman upside down, kind of kicks him in the gut a few times, and then out of nowhere, in this, like, eight-minute match, six-minute match, he throws, pushes Tommy Young to the ground, jumps out of the ring, and doesn't get a folding chair. He gets those plastic blue chairs that you sat in at at school, and he throws that into the ring to use on Pillman. And that shit hurts, by the way. Like, you know, we talked about when we did the Iron Sheik-Matt Bourne match, the chair wasn't completely flat, and that's going to cause some pain. This one, I've seen... They would use these matches these chairs in matches before, and it looks really stiff.
1: Zero give.
0: Zero give. So he's gonna hit Pillman with this chair, but that's when Sting shows up out of nowhere and starts kicking the crap out of Luger. Yeah. So badly he hits a Stinger splash on Luger. He and then Luger rolls out of the ring and and Sting continues to kick the crap out of him until he kind of like. Healy runs off.
1: Oh! Luger just airs Tommy Young out of the back. Oh no, Luger's got a chair again. Not this
0: again. And for a dude like Luger who's so big, so good looking, the 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 the, the hum like the human version of He Man, the yeah. physic you know, the reality version, for him to like look so like, you know, meek and and, and 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 get away, it was such a great I think it was brilliant to turn him heel. Sure. Because every dude who got insecure looking at Luger could boo him. Right. And every girl who's ever been dumped by a good looking dude could boo him. Right. Yeah, that's funny. And, and so he gets out, he's gone and sting comes back to look after his buddy Pillman. And this relationship would continue into the next year. And I think next two years, because uh, there's a great war games match that kind of uh, highlights Pillman's underdog status in a couple years from now uh, at this point. They both come back to the ring. Chris Cruz comes down to interview both of them. Chris <sniffs> snooze, sorry <laughs> and you know there's no announcement from Gary Michael Capetta on who the winner is, but Tommy Young rings the bell uh, and, and and calls for the DQ and raises Pillman's arm af- after Sting comes back to the ring. And then Pillman and Sting go on to cut their promos about Starcade to lead into Starcade. And I'll play those, too, because they're great.
1: And Chris Bruce is standing by at ringside.
0: All right, thank you, Jim Ross Sting. Lex Luger has got you so fired up. You know he does,
1: and guess what, Lex Luger? If you haven't figured it out by now, chairs excite me. I like it when you get in my face. I like it when you yell and scream and pick up a chair because it makes me want to beat my chest, stand in front of him and cover him up, and yell bloody murder, maybe beat on my chest too. Oh, Lex, guess what? Starcade! I'm gonna get you in Starcade! Now I get my chance. All right, Flying Brian, you were so close this time oh, to becoming the chance Booker, you make me sick. You come out here, all arrogant and cocky your million dollar body but it's never good enough just when the going gets tough you don't have what it takes you don't have what it takes to reach in deep inside yourself and pull out what champions are made of you gotta resort to picking up a cheap old three dollar chair well I don't care what you pick up so I got guys like the Stinger that's your boy are coming after your hide boy so you better get ready you better get in the gym you better pump all the way you camp and do whatever it takes, because you're going to be going down. All right, Brian, Brian, and Sting fans next week. More information about Starcade, Jim Ross and Chris Cruz. See you next time on World Wide Wrestling.
0: They're so great because Sting has his very signature style of delivering his promos. They're very, you know, uh fever pitch. There's no Showtime in there. There's no reference to your favorite version of sting oh, no. <laughs> and then pillman pillman's cadence is so kind of it's it, it's so you know you could say oh i'm he's just full of energy that's why he's stammering or he's trying to think about what he's supposed to say
1: it could almost come off as heelish in a way pillman's demeanor and just his voice like the, the his voice you know because he's it's it, it is a bit calculated in how he speaks
0: because he's talking about Flair, I believe he's. I think he's mentioning Flair, and Flair at this point was still a face.
1: Yeah, yeah, I loved the post match promos. I loved them more than the pre match.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. What did you? What are your thoughts overall from this match?
1: Very much like you said, I was. Uh, first of all, I thought Luger. This is some of the best he's ever looked physically. Um, Agreed. You know, he's not veiny. Uh, you know, looking dehydrated, um, like a California raisin. I mean, he looks just—he looks like what you would think of as like the Terminator. I mean, he's like, oh yeah, totally. He's cut and jacked, but I mean, he just looks dangerous, right? Uh, yes, agreed. And and I thought Pelman also looked in peak physical shape. I mean, this is possibly peak physical shape for both of these two and i was also very surprised i think really early on uh post uh silly road warriors distraction promo um as it cuts back to the match there's a moment where luger bumps pretty early for pillman and I am yeah. sitting here thinking, to me, that actually kind of set the tone for the for what we were going to continue to see. Because, um, as you mentioned, this match was very much more toe-to-toe than what you would normally think of as, quote-unquote, big guy versus smaller guy, right? Because Thelma right. would go on to have tons of success as cruiserweight champion, I think, um, U.S. champion. Uh, he would go on to win the tag titles, with, I believe, with Steve Austin uh, later Tom on. Tom
0: Zank, too, at one point.
1: Yeah, Tom Zank, exactly. Uh, Z Man, who never did get that Zima sponsor, which doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Me neither. But... Right. Uh, but I, I just, I loved that Pellman held his own a lot more than you probably would have thought so seeing this match on paper. Um, Pellman hits. Luger with the big chop on the outside and Luger takes the bump on the floor and mind you this was uh, before WCW and so you have the the mats outside but they're pretty crappy little mats so Luger's big big Luger's taking this bump off of a chop on the floor and I can assure you, you had better gym mats uh, in elementary school. Um, the, right. You know, these these weren't like Velcroed together, clean looking mats. I mean, they were just kind of um, flimsy little blue mats. Um, and he's sitting here bumping on the ground, on the floor, on the concrete floor uh, from a chop. So Luger is very much uh, doing the business just as much. And and there wasn't really much of a sense. I believe the cutoff here was like a big back elbow. Um, Yeah. And, and like you said, there were lots of forearms and so, so you can see Luger's uh, limitations in terms of um, his uh, ring skills, but at the same time, he didn't need to do a whole lot because he just looked so physically, superior to pretty much yeah. anyone else. And and you can certainly see uh Pillman's athleticism. He hits um some I think a few drop kicks uh right off the bat that are just wonderful. I, I always loved seeing Pillman's work. I always thought he was um he had such a it's hard to explain his athleticism it was it was as close to like a perfect without it actually being so clean that it looked overly uh, I don't want to say rehearsed, but there are some people that you can tell are clearly gymnasts and he never struck me as that. He always struck me as true and pure athleticism, right? So you can see how this guy was, a professional, I'll put it this way. You can definitely see how Pillman was much more likely to be a professional athlete, football player in regards to Luger, who you would say, Oh, well he had the size, but he never fully struck me as the athlete that Pillman was, especially in terms of athleticism, nothing to take away from Luger, who was obviously an incredible athlete, but, let's not make any mistake. I mean, he was a size guy. He was a big guy and he mostly made a career off of power moves. Whereas I felt Pillman truly made his career off of athleticism and everything that he did looked solid. He would lay these things in, you know, he, he was, he had great chops.
0: He did a great, uh, what is it called? The crucifix where you come from behind and, and, and kind of roll pull you into a pinning position.
1: Yeah, into like a kind of a backslide uh sort of situation there. Yeah. Love that move by the way. It's great. It's great. Um and it's funny enough because you would see uh Bret Hart would use that move quite a lot. So I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure that's something he picked up in Calgary.
0: Like a signature uh, stew taught
1: move. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean you would definitely see Bret use that move quite a lot throughout his career, the crucifix um and so yeah uh you know this was this was a fun 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 match um I did notice that when Luger kind of throws in the towel on himself and shoves Tommy Young Tommy Young doesn't issue the DQ right there which you're kind of thinking like hey he just put his hands on the referee right he waits for Luger to go out grab the chair brings the chair in and then DQs, then calls for the DQ, throws the hands up and then calls for the DQ before Luger actually uses the chair because he never actually yeah. gets to use the chair on Pillman. Pillman's hung up in the trio, and um, and then we see uh, Bleach Blonde Rat Tail Sting come <laughs> sliding in and make the save. <laughs> and yeah, that Stinger Splash was a lot of fun. I mean... Um, I was just doing that yesterday, actually, in training, showing the Stinger Splash. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you really want to get higher up on it. Uh,
0: (laughs) And Sting goes high. Yeah.
1: And that's that's the cool thing about Sting, too, is he was a size guy, but he also had that athleticism.
0: Yeah, he could nail a drop kick that looked yeah. really good, really right. clean.
1: It looked comfortable coming off the top rope, whether it was like right a clothesline, a flying tackle, whatever it might be. Um, we would see Luger come off the top rope throughout his career, but really not that often. If it was, it was usually like a double axe handle or a flying tackle.
0: Uh, or he'd do the uh, the superplex, you know, off the top rope, uh, but never like a a flying body flying flying body press, like uh, right. you know. Pillman would do.
1: Yeah, just really loved it. Um, I loved that they had simple gear as well.
0: Yeah, a Pillman had not gone to the tiger-striped yeah, tights just Tiger
1: yet. panties yet. He hadn't done that yet. Uh, Luger throughout his career usually just wore a basic color trunks anyways. Which I loved. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it is interesting. Luger became, for me, in his, in the in the later years of his life... Luger became for me what hap- well this Luger in the '90s is what happened to Chevy Chase for me in the '90s. Chevy Chase when he lost weight and became much thinner and, and stopped doing drugs as much, and became like he became less funny to me, right? He wasn't he wasn't Caddyshack or Fletch anymore. He was like Cops and Robertsons, which was really lame. And that's what happened to me with Luger. Luger suddenly got super like kind of lean and, and super oily, like. <laughs> you know, veiny, and I'm just like, that's not the Luger I love. The Luger I love is from the 80s, that that Luger, where he just looked like he would touch you and break you the minute he touched you.
1: Well, it's funny you mention that, because uh, for those of you who are familiar with Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke, Randy the Ram, and you can look this up, Randy the Ram is specifically modeled after Lex Luger. That whole character of having been this big big star and then it's kind of maybe not so much the downfall bit because uh i believe luger's descent um ended up more of from a physical standpoint than uh yeah you know obviously he had his his issues much later on in his career um and uh and along with the tragic passing of miss elizabeth um but needless to say that Randy the Ram character from the wrestler is uh based on Lex Luger and his look uh all of that is based on Lex Luger um it's not That's wild. Yeah, I mean it's not saying like this is Lex Luger without saying it but that was the main reference point was Lex Luger. So
0: That's crazy. And and do you like Luger more as a heel or a face?
1: That's a good question. You know, I was I was definitely more... I think he's a better heel.
0: Yeah.
1: End of the day, I think he's a better heel. Um, I was most familiar because I was not as much of a diehard uh, NWA, WCW uh, fanatic. I watched it when it was on, but I was certainly more of the camp for wwf and so but with that said i was a big fan of what he brought to the table as the narcissist um when he wwf and was managed by bobby heenan and bobby heenan was gushing over him and he's like look at the pectoral, look at the quads look at the deltoids he always perfect he is perfect (laughs) He's just like, or he's like, he is everything. He was, oh, look at, look at the quads. Look at the cat. Look at the cat look, look at the pectorals. Oh my God. The striations. <laughs> like, it, like he's just, you know, it, it's hilarious. And he's sitting there with a yeah. giant mirror in front of him. Um, and then they would do the, uh, you know, they would pass the kind of the, the bit about him having steel plates in his forearm which yes, I'm not entirely sure if that's a shoot. Like, I don't know. I guess I, I just never did my research or homework on it. To... Me too. I'm going to have
0: to because I think he has a match. I feel like he had a match with Dusty Rhodes and they were talking about both of them had, you know, metal elbows and whatnot.
1: Yeah, but I thought that they really played that off beautifully in WWF when he was the narcissist and he had, Supposedly, these steel plates in his forearm because, yeah, that and this was another thing I was actually, um, curious about when he was in WWF. Now, he did become a babyface after the narcissist, he would go on to be the one that slammed uh Yokozuna on the USS Express, or whatever, and then he right. had the Lex Express, like this kind of American uh tour bus thing where he was going across the country uh, in the spirit of America. And he had like the, the, the American flag Zubas uh, and all that stuff, you know, that we're huge fans of Zubas on this program. Yes. And, um, but he would always he always had the running forearm. He never, for the best of my knowledge, didn't use the torture rack in WWE.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was his signature move in the NWA.
1: That's what you would always think for him. Regardless would be right. Oh, torture rack, torture rack, right? Because that was another one of these holds that you never quite saw anyone else modify or borrow or use. You know, I, I want to say, I, I just can't think of anyone who else was like, you know, I, I use kind of like a, it's kind of like a torture rack, but I have them like this way. Like, it's really very specific to Lex Luger.
0: It is. That that's a good point.
1: You know, and I thought it was really curious that he never used, like, it just, from a physical standpoint, sure, like, hey, if I can hit you with a running form, let's do that, other than, you know, let me rely on having to pick you up every night, uh, various size guys, you know, like, that'll eventually start to work on me, especially if you're gassed and you're you're tired, I still got to pick this dude up for the finish, like, you find a way to do it. But if it's like, if you're finished, you you know, you just have to hit that running form. Like that's gravy. I don't know where that came into being because then when he went back to WCW, he was torture rack fanatic. Right. So it makes me wonder, I'm like, was that like, just, was that like a, a WCW trademarked finisher? <laughs> like as silly as that sounds. But yeah. Cause
0: he would get up guys like the, like Paul white, the, well, the, you know, the giant, yeah. he would get, The giant up and i remember that being a big deal when he was you know huge when he was cops and robertson's lex luger um, (laughs) versus (laughs) i wanted to like that movie so bad by the way um i'm gonna rattle off a few facts from 1989 please okay just a few not not nothing too major uh but this this is interesting and it tags into um You like that tags into tags into, uh, NWA kind of moving into WCW territory with Ted Turner, the NBA in November of 1989, the NBA on TNT debuted. Wow. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, Ernie Hudson, I think was one of the main guys. Ernie Johnson, yeah, right.
1: Ernie Hudson, though, was uh, Predator 2, circling. Yes, thank you. Too. No, 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 that's, that's, uh, I'm sorry, Ernie Hudson was Ghostbusters.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ernie Johnson. Ernie, J- yeah. hey, this was Ernie Johnson. And the saw, uh, yeah, anyways, I remember watching, that's when I was really getting into basketball because my team at the time was the Detroit Pistons, uh, the, bad the Bad
1: Boys. Yeah. Yep. That's my team now. The sad, Is it really the Sad Boys? The yeah. Sad Boys. <laughs> I think they're gonna turn it around. We're gonna see Monty Williams. I'm excited. I
0: I hope so, man. I do.
1: Too.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so my other fun fact. I got I got three. In November of 1989, it was right around the same time that this aired. Back to the Future Part Two
1: came out. Oh, nice. That same week. Wow. Yeah, it, isn't that wild? Yeah. Part one would have been, what, 85? Yeah,
0: the first one was 85, and then 89, and then the third one came out like the next year, in 1990. I really like the Back to the Future trilogy, but to this day, I still feel like they could have just had part one and then ended at that.
1: I agree. But I, I would say part two is my favorite.
0: I can see why part two would be your favorite. Even though it had to happen.
1: They screwed over Crispin Glover, who did sue production and win.
0: Hey, see you later, Pop. Well, you, you Woo, come it. on, time to change that oil.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, in this day and age, they would just AI his ass. and
1: That's true. Which is
0: basically kind of what they did, actually, in a weird way. Was
1: part two when we first ever saw Elijah Wood? I believe so. I think so. Okay.
0: And then, yeah, Elizabeth Shue being in that, I'm like, that's weird.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Because I really like the 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 woman in the first one. Yeah. 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 She's great. Right. Uh, my last fun fact from 1989 and I didn't realize it actually, it's a nineties album. Um, it's one of my, it's one of my all time favorite hip hop albums ever. Third base released the cactus album (laughs) with their hit single, the gas face
1: yo man my label mate Don Newkirk man step to him thanks search and now for the Prime Minister
0: Gave it the first light A grin shows a trick up a sleeve <sighs> What a tangled web
1: they weave Deceive is stupid 5 fable Say let's make a deal at the dinner table Put you on tour Put your record on wax Trust me. Sign your life on the X You exit x But once you really get A bunch of new ports And Puma sweats Text feeds and frowns upon emis
0: To give up gas face, and drinks from a thermos So Brock could at you with a i beg to differ pete, that was real tough, man, but I what third base that's the band right i love third base it's one of my all time favorite hip hop groups
1: they didn't put out that pop pop goes the weasel weasel
0: they did oh, yeah they put no, that out i think the following year
1: one of that song not too long
0: mc search prime minister pete nice
1: what you don't like the oh. Uh, the mind-blowing emoji. If any of you out there can picture the mind-blowing emoji, that's me right now. Uh, yeah. It, what? <laughs>
0: there- yeah, the, the Cactus album features songs like Oval Office where they sample a woman going, that's almost as big as my
1: husband's. <laughs> I had no idea. They had. I thought there were just some one-hit fly-by-night pop-up goes the weasel because I used to make – Nope. Play. I was like, this song sucks. That's all they, Whoa. Say. That's well, all
0: they so do. Whoa! Well, so the cactus, <laughs> the cactus album uh, it, it, it's a it's from Def Jam, and they were they were an interesting band. Uh, Third Base because you know the Beastie Boys were the, probably the only white hip hop group at the time. Yeah, you better have. your then to get ill. <laughs> but then then you know, Third Base comes out, yep. and they're sampling Gary Wright's "Love Is Alive." My love is alive. Um, They're sampling Aretha Franklin, The Emotions, Best of My Love. Uh, I don't know. I I just highly recommend if you've never heard of Third Bass or if you've never heard of the Cactus album, go check it out if you're a fan of hip hop.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Don't judge by that one song. It was on, it was like, it was plastered on our faces uh at the time i was like this song like there's nothing to this i could have written this um pop, pop. the gas face so is we- great pop um
0: yeah and then we kick the crap out of vanilla ice because that song was dissing uh, all about dissing vanilla
1: ice That's right and you don't you don't diss uh you don't diss the ice man I'm sorry. He just uh,
0: well. They dissed. They dissed MC Hammer in the gas face.
1: And you don't diss Hammer either. Who would later go on to have a brief run uh, with Death Row Records uh, when he was Hammer, the Funky Headhunter. Uh, is
0: that when he released Too Legit to Quit, or uh, was that after?
1: This this was well after. This is when he went when he delved to the dark side and played with Gangster Rap for a minute. And he uh, he had pumps in a bump. Which, oh, showed way too much of MC Hammer for what you were hoping as a young, like, oh, he's like a minister, he's a great man. And it's like, why is he wearing a banana hammock and surrounded by a hose <laughs> at a pool party? Um, wow, but,
0: and then you realize it's all a gimmick, it's all just a gimmick,
1: right? Right? Uh, I mean, 1989, I believe that was uh, Nightmare Five Dream Child. Um, it was <laughs> uh right stephen hopkins uh predator 2 um and uh yes and i want to say it was was it the fat boys i believe on that soundtrack uh on predator 2 soundtrack well, on, uh, nightmare on Elf street 5 oh yeah yeah dun, dun, dun. like i think it was like the fat boys or something like yeah, anyways. So, uh, I,
0: I only I only limit some of my fun facts of 89 because uh, next month. We'll keep
1: hitting the same years and we don't want to keep milking. Well,
0: the- we are we are being very specific because next month is the crossover month with uh, Podcasting After Dark and, and $2 late fee. If you want to know about it ahead of time, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash $2 late fee and sign up today. It's totally worth it. That's my trademark, I think. It's totally worth it. Um, we will be covering 1989 next month because we're s- going gonna to be talking about one specific wrestler oh. and his time when he made... Well, he was in a particular movie that came out in 1989,
1: so New classic, it's going to come back. Yeah, 89 specifically. They're near and dear to me as well.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a, a tribute celebration episode.
1: Very fittingly. Absolutely. Well this has been a lot of fun. I, I wanna go um
0: well, that's in the third base? Wanna,
1: well yeah, while dishing out backslides. <laughs> so you know. Actually I wanna take a fiberglass unfolding chair to third base. Dude, that
0: chair stiff. <laughs> yes. I know. Wow. Want to take it to MC search?
1: Uncomfortable, too. Those chairs sucked in school if you got stuck on one of those chairs because you couldn't lean back in them. Uh,
0: they made fart noises if you moved the wrong way, and then kids would be like, you farted, and then the girl you had a crush on was like, ew, I'm never going to date you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine,
0: Renee. I never even wanted to date you anyways, Renee. Stupid
1: bitch. Okay, you didn't say that as a <laughs> Maybe you did.
0: Oh. Uh, I'm going to flick my fold-up football at you now. You listen to third base. What a nerd. Um. (laughs) Dude, so I kept that private. I talked about this before in previous episodes of $2 Lifey. I was in the closet when it came to my musical choices and my movie
1: choices.
0: (laughs) People be like, hey, did you listen to the new Metallica? I'm like, yeah. What do you have in your Walkman? Nothing.
1: Show me. Pop goes the weasel. Hey, everybody, this nerd listens to third base. Let's pop his... We- Wait, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, what, man?
0: I had that, and I had Bonham. You remember the band Bonham? It was Jason Bonham. John Bonham's son, Jason Bonham, was in a hair metal band.
1: And only by name. I'm, I can't think of a single thing that they played.
0: They were so good too. I love them too. I will. I will die in that hill. That third base, the cactus album, is a good album. So, commentary fans of the show, let us know you like third base or not.
1: I will die on the hill. That Nightmare on Elm Street Five is much better than people think. It gets crapped on constantly, and very not cool, y'all. Okay, sorry, New Line Cinema <laughs> trying to jump on the success of Freddy. Nightmare, uh, Dream Master just the year before. Hey, let's spit out just another Freddy movie. And uh, I think there's so many uh, redeeming qualities to Dream Child. Is Dream Child the one with
0: the pizza with all the different heads on it and he eats the pizza?
1: That's the one before, year before. Dream Child That's the baby carriage poster, right? Edited Push- by the MPAA uh, specifically yeah. Dan's uh, motorcycle hybrid nightmare death uh, as well yes. as uh, Greta's being fed her own insides um, by, yes. by Freddy the uh, the Maitre d chef Freddy, uh, and then as well as the rotoscope death of my favorite character Mark, who gets sucked into his comic book and yes in a black and white uh, setting and uh, encounters Super Freddy, which is the only other actor to wear the Freddy get up beside robert england at the time and uh and i was a huge skater at the time i was super pal peralta guy bones brigade that was my thing so right on when i saw a character who skateboarded was, and read comics was like that's my favorite character yeah dude yeah pretty cool
0: I have to uh, I have to revisit it. I've, it's been a minute since I watched it, but I can I can die on that hill as well and say Freddy's dead. Not the best.
1: No, no. Even though I really enjoyed that as well. 3D glasses. I believe that was 1991 or two. Mm-hmm. I still uh, have
0: my glasses from that.
1: Also, also featuring one of Biff's henchmen from Back to the Future Two, uh, Ricky Dean Logan. Oh, yeah. On to play Carlos, uh, who is considered one of the better deaths in the Nightmare series. Uh, He would play the ill-fated earpiece wearing Carlos. Yes. But yeah, he was one of Biff's henchmen with the hoverboards. Actually, I think he goes to conventions with a hoverboard. Does he? Yeah.
0: Nice.
1: I'm not sure about the expanding bat, though, but either which way. (laughs) Uh, fun episode fun years man very cool. fun years yeah uh get, you know let us know what you
0: think in our show and our notes on youtube comments please instagram all that good stuff go to our patreon consider signing up for that we've got unboxings we've got tales from the video store we've got so much more and next month you'll hear another epic episode with us paul london and zach schaefer we might be joined by cory from podcasting after dark by the way That's he great he uh just for the crossover. Yeah. So um, enjoy this. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Paul, as always, it's a pleasure. It is such a pleasure.
1: Pleasure's all mine. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you're wearing your Zubas. And your Ruse shoes. Ruse, your teaback tanks, your neon shades, and, uh, you know, perming those mullets or, or, or trimming that rat tail. So... <laughs> We really appreciate all you listening. That's why we do this. And uh, we love it. We love this. We are marks for these territories.
0: Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes.
1: And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.